spiritual discipline of solitude. Uh, and I just want to make sure we have our thinking right as we jump into this, because some people, maybe we're going to talk about solitude and you're going to be like, you know what, I love this one because I hate people. And so I just like, if I could just be alone all the time, that's, that's great, all right? And uh, so I just want to tell you a story. Did you hear about the guy uh, that was on a, a deserted island for 10 years all alone, uh, completely alone, and he survived for 10 years? And at the end of this 10 years, he was found, and this ship came, and they saw, you know, like a hut and some fire, and they're like, oh, we should go investigate. So they go to investigate, and they get there, and there's this guy that's been survive, surviving on this deserted island for like 10 years. And so they're helping him get into the boat, and he's all excited. And, and the people that are rescuing him, they notice three huts, and they say, you know, there's three huts here. What are those? And he said, oh, that's, that's my house, and, and that's my church. And they said, okay, that's cool, but what's, what's the other hut? And he said, well, that's where I used to go to church. Uh, and so, <laughs> so I, I want to open that way because solitude sometimes, okay, uh, sounds great, but even within ourselves, we will find lots of disagreement, all right? So I want to talk about solitude today as a spiritual discipline, and solitude is this time that we connect with God, and it's an intentional time, and solitude can actually be scary. We're going to talk about that a little bit, um, but we're talking about solitude in, in, a, in a way where the focus is being alone with God for the purpose of connecting with Him and actually hearing His voice. But if we do that well, then we'll do, we'll do this well. We'll be with people well, all right? Uh, it's super important. The Scriptures uh, talk about it a lot. Fellowshipping, being with other people that are following Jesus, doing life together is really important. It's challenging. It's difficult. It can be really divisive. Uh, but so can being alone, like that guy on the island discovered. So uh, I'm just going to pray, and we will jump into this, this topic of solitude. And I'm hoping that we'll hear the Lord speak to us and challenge us uh, today. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you speak to us in your word. And Lord, we're in this series on uh, spiritual formation, and we're looking at the 12 disciplines and we're, we're trying to get really practical about doing the things that you've asked us to do uh, to follow you. And I just pray that as we, we look into this today, Lord, that we would actually hear your voice, that uh, if, I, if I share anything as the speaker that's not of you, that we, we would forget it, we would ignore it, we wouldn't pay attention to it. But Lord, if you're speaking something, that I, I just pray that our ears collectively would be open to what you're saying, and that God, you would actually develop us into a congregation, a group of people that, that love you, that desire you. Uh, and, and we do so more than just words, but we, uh, we surrender all, like we were singing about earlier, and that our lives actually line up with your will. And so we look to you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So solitude uh, is one of those things, if you're, if you're the type of person that has lots of solitude and you're lonely, you probably can't wait to get around people, okay? So maybe you're somebody who you spend a lot of time alone and just you crave being around people. If you're around people, all the time, then you may enjoy solitude. I remember, and my, my kids are here this morning, I have, my wife and I have six kids, so there's eight of us, and if you've ever been to our house, we don't live very far from here, um, it's a small house, we're all like, we're all bunked up, okay, you can talk to, to my kids about that, there's, and then when we have visitors, it gets even more, even more tight, and so there's some days where I'm like, man, I'd love to just, I love being alone, 
And uh, a few years ago, before Jeremy was married, uh, where's Jeremy? I saw him wave. Maybe he went down something. He's still here. Okay. Uh, Jeremy used to live, he had this like bachelor pad not far from here uh, before him and Alyssa were married. And I was with Jeremy one day. I don't know if we'd gone and had lunch or something, but I was bringing Jeremy back to his bachelor pad. And I remember walking in and it was like, there was this nice like bed set up and like a desk beside it and a chair and a little kitchenette. And I just walked in and I was like, man, this, it just feels so peaceful. Like you, like you can just get up and read? Like what's that like, right? Like, what's that? like and I just saw the, the solitude, and, and I realized that, like, if you experience that a lot, you probably can't wait to be around people, whereas if you're around people all the time, you probably love uh, being in solitude. And there's this tendency in us to long for what we don't have, right? You ever notice that? Like, sometimes you see somebody else experiencing something, and you long for that, but you don't realize some of the negatives and the challenges that go along with that. And what I want to do today, I want to draw our attention to, to solitude in a different sense. Not just solitude, not just in the sense of being completely alone by yourself with your thoughts, but a solitude where you're intentional about being with God. And so a dictionary definition of solitude sounds quite lonely, and this will be on the screen. Uh, the dictionary definition is the state of being or living alone, seclusion. Okay, that can be, and maybe for some of you, that is your. That is your reality, that is your experience, okay? Uh, But here's the the definition I want you to think about as we jump into this today. This next one will be on the screen. The practice of solitude involves scheduling enough interrupted time in a distraction-free environment that you experience isolation and are alone with God. Solitude, and catch this, is a container discipline for the practice of other disciplines. So you can go to the next slide, Corey. Uh, we're working through the 12 spiritual disciplines, meditation, prayer, fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, celebration. Solitude is like a container discipline for these other disciplines. So the, the challenge every week is to actually take the spiritual discipline we're, we're talking about and practice it in an intentional way. So we talked about fasting a couple weeks ago, meditation, prayer. You know, a lot of us don't have regular rhythms of engaging with these disciplines. And solitude is a unique discipline in this list of 12 because it's like a container discipline. When you, when you go and practice solitude, time alone, intentional time with God, it's an opportunity to practice all of these other disciplines. It's an opportunity to reflect on and pray about how God's speaking to you, what He's challenging you with regarding some of these other disciplines. And so this one that we're going to talk about this week, if, if you'll put this into practice in your life, it'll be an opportunity to practice a lot of the other ones that we're talking about. And so here's a bit of an outline of what we're going to look at today, okay? So we're going to look at just two things and then a practical application. We're going to look at solitude in the life of Jesus and then solitude in the life of a Jesus follower. And there's three aspects to that. There's the dark night of the soul, there's distinguishing God's voice from other voices, and there's deep trust in God's plan. And and that's what we're going to uh, cover in a brief way today. And And the intent with talking about these disciplines is just to give them a brief introduction, but for us to go away and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be intentional about actually trying this, and I'm going to invite God into this time. And, and I, I, I can't guarantee, but I, I believe with all my heart, okay, that if you do this and you keep your heart open to Jesus, uh, that you will encounter Him maybe in unique ways that you haven't before. And, and that's going to be uh, my challenge with us in this. And so we're going to look at solitude in the life of Jesus. We're going to go to Mark chapter 1. 
and we're going to read verses 21 to 39. And, and what I want you to notice in this passage that we're going to read is that this is Jesus' busiest day, okay? This is a little snapshot from the life of Jesus where things get really busy. And I've described the book of Mark before. Mark, Mark is different than the other Gospels in that Mark starts off running, okay? Last time I explained Mark, I said, Mark is like this. He's like, and he just gets off going, okay? Luke, Matthew, they're like, they get into Jesus' birth narratives, and John is like this, like, revelator. He's like off in meditation land, right? And Mark, all the way through the Gospel of Mark, you get this sense of urgency. Mark often uses the word immediately or right afterwards, right? He, he just jumps from one thing to the next. And, and in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is, like, involved in his busiest day. We're going to look at this, this busy day in the life of Jesus, and, and the way this section ends is, is, is what I really want to emphasize and how he starts his next day uh, after a really busy day. So Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region in Galilee. So just catch this. We're going to read uh, down to verse 34, but I just want you, or no, down to verse 39. I want you to catch, like, Jesus' fame is spreading. Like, the crowds are starting to increase. People are starting to notice him, and, and, and the tension in the story is mounting. Verse 29, and immediately... He left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening, so now we're at the end of the day. So he began his day, he's teaching in the synagogue, he's healing all these people, the crowds are growing and then he goes to his friend, his disciple Peter's house and he heals her mother, his mother-in-law. So this day is really long. It began in the morning, and it's just gone on. He's been with the crowds. He's healed tons of people. And then he goes for supper, and somebody else is sick, and he's healing, he's healing her. Verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick, so it's still going on, or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, so this is the next day, while it was still dark, he departed and he went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And that's the, the word we're going to hang on to, okay, this desolate place. And it gets translated with lots of different English words, depending on the translation you're reading. But he departed, he went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And so what I want you to notice, so we're looking at solitude in the life of Jesus. Jesus has this really long, exhausting day of ministry, 
okay? And the crowds are mounting. People are starting to, to know who he is. They're starting to recognize him. They're starting to clamor after him, right? And, and so there's all of this pressure mounting. And what Jesus decides to do, okay, so he, he goes to sleep that night and he gets up the next day long before the sun comes up. How many of us do that on a regular basis? We just love getting up long before. Okay, that's some. I, I don't love it. Uh, and uh, we, uh, I mentioned how many kids my wife and I have. We have a couple toddlers that they love to get up before the sun is up, and they love to come and make sure we're awake. And, uh, <laughs> and sometimes if we're like, just go like watch something or like hang out, like they'll come barging in to show us what they're wearing or like ask if we're going to get up and make them cereal or whatever. Like they love getting up. And uh, Jesus did this willingly. He wasn't woken up by, by somebody. He, didn't, he, he willingly gets up long before the sun goes up, and, and he goes to a desolate place. That is a really important word in what we're looking at. And, and what I want you to notice is that when, when the disciples come to Jesus, so he has just gotten up long before the sun, and he's gone and he's spent time in the presence of his Father. And then the disciples show up, and they've got all of this pressure because they're like, Jesus, like, the crowds are back. Like, your church is growing. People want, to, like, people want you to come back and talk to them. And Jesus, his response at the end of what we just read is with, he has such clarity. He says, no, my mission is to keep going. I need to go into the next towns to deliver the message of my Father. And, and what I want to highlight, what I want to point to is that this, this desolate place that Jesus went to was a place that he intentionally went and he was like, he pushed out the voice of the crowds, the voice of the world, all of the different pressures of life. He went to this place where he intentionally pushed all of that out and he said, God, I want to know what you are saying. And so then when the crowds are, when the pressure's mounting and they're saying, Jesus, we want you to do this, and he's got all these people pulling this, this way, that way, he has this clarity because he knows the will of his father. He went and he gained the perspective of his father. And so that word that, that I told you to hold on to, desolate, it comes, and I don't get into the, the Greek very often because uh, our English translations are great, and so you can understand this without knowing Greek, and I don't know Greek very well, um, but I wanted to highlight this word because uh, I really, I think it's something that we can hang on to and we can take an, uh, a page out of Jesus' book and we can go to this desolate place to get clarity from God in the same way that Jesus did. So the word, uh, this word desolate comes from the Greek word eremos. It shows up in the New Testament over 50 times and there's 10 times, and you can put that list up, Corey, there's 10 times where this word shows up in the life of Jesus in the Gospels, okay? So if you want to look up all those passages, you can. Uh, but each, in each one of these passages, this word eremos is, is used, and, and it's talking about, it, it gets translated, depending on the, the translation you have, sometimes it's translated as wilderness, quiet place, secluded place, isolated place, deserted place, desolate place, or lonely place. And... There's three different reasons Jesus goes to this desolate place. In Luke chapter 5, verses 15 to 16, it says, But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But listen to this. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness or the desolate place. He's talking about this, this Greek word, eremos, for prayer. The three reasons Jesus went to the desolate place, to Eremos, 
was, one, uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit led him there. Okay, there's, there's, a, there's a couple instances where Jesus is actually led to this desolate, lonely, deserted place by the Holy Spirit. One of the other reasons is that Jesus would choose to go there to get alone with the Father. And then the third reason was sometimes Jesus was forced to these desolate places to go away from the crowds because the crowds were putting pressure on him and, and it was going to force him into uh, popularity quicker than, than he wanted to. But there was, there was these multiple reasons, and the one that I want to highlight is, that, is, is the first two, that uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit led Jesus to this desolate, lonely, deserted place, and sometimes Jesus, in, in Luke, it says that He often would go there to be alone with the Father. Listen to Jesus' words in, in John chapter 5, verse 19. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Here's what I want you to, to see. Jesus is God in the flesh, okay? We, we know this. I'm, I'm not going to get deep into that uh, today, but Jesus is, is God in the flesh, but He's also fully man. And so, Jesus, he, he had to go to this desolate place to turn off the voice of the crowd in order to hear clearly the voice of His Father. Jesus says in John, He says, He only does what He sees the Father doing. So, I just want you to think about that in our own lives. How often are you and I tempted to go along with the things that the crowd is saying, the pressures of the world? You know, we're pulled on, whether it's by family or by loved ones or by our jobs or by our own internal desires. We've got all these things pulling on us. And how, how often do we struggle to make decisions with clarity? And I won't get you to raise your hands with that, but I'll bet you that every single one of us in the room would say, yeah, I often struggle to, to know that I'm doing the right thing. And Jesus, He is he's God in the flesh. So, he's, yes, He's fully God, but He still had to go to this desolate, lonely deserted place so that he could hear clearly the voice of his Father. He could turn off, you know, his own internal struggles. Uh, like the, Jesus, the Bible says that he was tempted um, in, in all the ways that you and I are tempted. So when I say internal struggles, not that Jesus ever sinned. He was perfect. He was sinless. But he faced temptation and resisted it the same way that you and I do. But he also had to turn off the pressures of the crowd. If Jesus had to do that, how much more do we do? So, Here's the second thing. I want to talk about solitude in the life of a Jesus follower. And I'm just going to talk about three aspects of it, and then I want to give us some practical ways we can practice this. But I want to address uh, something. If, if, if you and I are going to practice solitude, we are going to have to face the dark night of the soul, okay? And, and maybe you're not familiar with that term, the dark night of the soul. There's a 16th century priest uh, his name is St. John of the Cross, and he wrote, he wrote a little uh, book called The Dark Night of the Soul. It's a poem, and he kind of expounds on it. And, and he talks about how if we're going to truly follow God and honor Him, we're going to have to face the dark night of the soul. Now, many writers have picked up on this theme, talking about the dark night of the soul, and, and it's kind of it's similar to going through like an existential crisis, okay? Now, I would be willing to bet that all of us can relate with this, that sometimes when you are alone with your thoughts, you struggle with some of the darkest, most difficult thoughts, when it's just you and your thoughts, when you're completely and totally alone, right? So, and I don't know what those are. Maybe they're, they're, they're thoughts and struggles that have to do with deep doubt, 
Maybe it's this deep fear of what's going on in the lives of those that you love. Maybe there's this deep struggle, this internal wrestle between you and God. So solitude in the life of a Christian, we are going to have to face willingly this this dark night of the soul, maybe this this existential crisis. My, uh, My favorite comedian growing up, his name was Robin Williams. And uh, I still enjoy some of Robin Williams' movies. And uh, when I was younger, he was like, I was pretty obsessed. Uh, he, he played uh, the genie in Aladdin, in the Disney movie Aladdin. And he was, uh, he was in this really silly movie called Flubber. And uh, I used to just love watching his stuff. And he's a famous comedian. You can put the next slide up, Corey. Robin Williams, uh, he, says, he says this. He says, I think the saddest people always try their hardest to make people happy because they know what it's like to feel absolutely worthless, and they don't want anyone to feel like that. You know, when I started to learn about Robin Williams' struggle with depression and his battle with that, it bothered me on a deep level, because I had this respect for Robin Williams from a distance. I loved his comedy, and he would make me laugh, and I thought he was just absolutely hilarious. But then when I started to learn about this, this deep struggle he had, and, and I think it was near the end of his life, and, and sadly, um, Robin Williams took his own life, and, and that you know, really shocked a lot of people. But when he started talking about some of these internal struggles, it was like a little bit jarring to me because I had this idea, well, he doesn't struggle with that because he's so funny, and he's hilarious, and he's rich, and he's famous, and he's kind of got everything that you'd think we would want as a, as a human being. But he had this deep struggle, and solitude... If, as a follower of Jesus, if, if you're going to embrace solitude, you're going to have to willingly face this dark night of the soul, this deep internal struggle. And I just want you to know that God is not intimidated by your deep internal struggle. It doesn't scare Him. It doesn't surprise Him. And we often try to avoid it with noise. We try to get away from from asking some of those questions, and we try to fill our lives up with all these distractions. But if you're going to embrace solitude, you're going to have to face some of the dark and deep questions that you wrestle with that God is not at all surprised with, and He actually wants to meet you there. So solitude in the life of a Christian, the first aspect of it is that we have to face those things in the context of hearing the voice of our Father who loves us deeply and more profoundly than you've ever experienced before. And God is a safe place to go with those deep struggles and challenges. Richard Foster, uh, he wrote the, the book that we're, we're using um, kind of as a source to talk about these, these spiritual disciplines. He says, recognize the dark night for what it is. Be grateful that God is lovingly drawing you away from every distraction so that you can see Him clearly. Rather than chafing and fighting, become still and wait. So I don't know where you're at and, and what comes to mind when we talk about the dark night of the soul or that, that existential crisis, that deep question, but I want to encourage you, don't run from it and don't fill your life up with so much noise that you don't deal with the things that are going on in your heart between you and God. That, that place of solitude. So Jesus, in Jesus' life, this word eremos, he would go to the desolate place, the dark place, sometimes because he needed to get away from the crowds, but there's, there's a few times where Jesus is driven to the dark 
place, the desolate place, by the Holy Spirit, where he's tempted by the enemy. And it's like this, there's a, there's a major spiritual battle going on, and, and some of the questions Jesus is being faced with are deep, dark, challenging questions, and he overcomes because of his trust in God. But facing those was a necessity. That's how he began his ministry. The second aspect is distinguishing God's voice from other voices. And you can put this up, Corey. In solitude, we silence the many voices that clamor for our attention, including our own, so that we can hear God's voice. So, so yes, if, in the life of a Christian, solitude, you're going to face the dark night of the soul. But the second aspect is that you're going to distinguish God's voice from other voices. When I was uh, in university, uh, we had to go through this class, spiritual formation. So this is like eight, nine years ago. And uh, one of the practices we had to do was our professor said, this is going to count as a part of your grade. You have to take six hours, and, and it can't be while you sleep, okay? You got to tell stuff like that to college students, <laughs> okay? He's like, you got to take six hours, and you're going to go be alone in isolation with God, Okay? And, and that was, like, that's kind of a hard thing to do because my, my first thought was, like, well, I do that every night. Like, I, you know, I sleep and I'm alone and whatever with my thoughts. But we had to be awake. We had to go somewhere specific. We had to get away from the crowd, and we had to just be alone with God. We weren't allowed to just listen to music endlessly or watch shows. Like, it, there had to be an intentional time with God. And I remember I took my, my van, and I drove out of the little town where the university was. And I was up on this hill, and I was just overlooking kind of a little area. And it was this weird experience because... I felt, and I was super busy at the time, like I was a full-time student, and uh, we, my wife and I had four kids at the time, we, only, uh, we didn't have Randall and Henry, and, and I was also working at the university, I was a resident director, and so I didn't have any spare time, I, I went from one thing to the next to the next to the next, and so I went into this place of isolation, and I remember being up on this hill, and it was almost like I could, I could physically hear it, even though I couldn't, but it was like I could hear all these voices, all these things that were clamoring for my attention, and it was like they were fading. They were like kind of disappearing a little bit, and I was just intentionally saying, God, I want to hear from you. But it was this weird experience of just feeling like all of the pressures were somehow like leaving my body. Like the, it, was like, it was like a detox in some way. Like that was just like leaving me, and I was able to just focus in on prayer and time alone with God. And, and this, so the second aspect of, of uh, solitude in the life of a Jesus follower is be, learning to distinguish the voice of God from the voice of either ourselves or from other people. And you all know what it's like to have all of the pressure of the world on you with what you should do with your time, with where you should go, with what you should... Like, solitude in the life of a Jesus follower means intentionally leaving all of that, sometimes for a season, and saying, God, I'm just going to go and be alone with you, and I'm going to journal, I'm going to write down what comes to my mind and heart, I'm just going to listen. And I want to just take the pressure off if you decide to do this, maybe you go to a place like that and you don't hear anything. You shouldn't walk away saying, well, I failed or I'm not as spiritual or I didn't hear God. Sometimes that legitimately happens. Sometimes I've gone into this place of solitude because I'm like, God, I just want to hear what you have to say. And I don't actually come away feeling like I've heard anything. I just want you to know that. And that's okay. It's, it's the intentionality of, of doing that and, and creating that rhythm in your life where you're like, God, I, I just want to hear you. And so doing that on a regular basis and getting the scriptures into your mind and your heart, meditating on God's word, you will hear God. But just don't put pressure on yourself that you have to come away with this like amazing experience where you saw some vision or heard an audible voice. 
If you do, please tell me about it, okay? If you go away and you, like, you do this and you hear an audible voice, I want to hear all about that, okay? So that's the second aspect. The third is deep trust in God's plan, okay? So dark night of the soul, distinguishing God's voice from other voices, and then the third aspect of solitude in the life of Jesus' follower is deep trust in God's plan. Going into solitude is to cease from doing, to cease from striving. I'm going to read this, this quote. You can put it up, Corey. Solitude and silence are very closely connected. Richard Foster connects them, and, and he says this. He says, one reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We are so accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. If we are silent, who will take control? God will take control. But we will never let Him take control until we trust Him. Silence is intimately related to trust. Now, here, here's, this is going to hit home for a lot of us. So, solitude in the life of a Jesus follower, it forces you and I to have a deep trust in the plan of God. Now, be honest in your mind and heart. I'm not going to ask anybody to say anything publicly, but how often do you work really hard to control uh, people's perception of you? Like something is said and you, and, and you, you, like, you work hard to control other people's perception of you. Or think of it this way, how often do you work really hard to control the things going on in the lives of the loved ones that you're close with, with our words, with the things that we do. Like we do every, it's like we have this, this thought of like, my, my kids, they have to do this certain thing and, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure they stay on that path. I'm going to try to force it. Or, or our loved ones. We, we work really hard to try to control a situation. Or, or, or just think of a, a situation where you really desire for something to happen in your life and, and it's almost like everything hinges on it. You, you need for that to happen. You need for that thing, whatever it is, to happen. And you work super hard to make sure that that happens. Solitude is this choice to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just put all of my trust in God's plan. The best example of this that we have is the Scriptures. Jesus, when He goes on trial, right before He goes to the cross, He has all of these false accusations coming at Him. And the Scripture says that like a lamb was silent before its shearers, Jesus opened not his mouth. How often, like, do we do that? Like, I just want to ask you to be honest for a second. Like, are there times where things are not going your way and, and you just say, you know what, God, I'm just going to trust you with this. Maybe I lose the money. Maybe my loved one does the thing that I really don't want them to do. Maybe this thing happens in my marriage that I don't want to, like, we just like say, God, I'm just going to, I'm going to go to a place of solitude in the midst of being around people, and I'm just going to give up control, I'm going to release it, and I'm going to trust in your plan. Like, that's a really hard thing for a lot of us to do. Because there's this tendency inside of all of us to, to control. We want to control the outcome. We want to control the situation. We want to control the narrative. We want to make sure people think this or think that. And we do it so often. And, and a lot of times, I believe what God is calling us to do is He's saying, can you just trust me? Like we talked about it last week. There's so many people in the Scriptures, and it just goes against the way that we would naturally think. God asks them to do something for Him, and they say yes to Him, and then the, 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 the narrative, like the way people think about them, they often look horrible. Like a lot of people that were 
devoted followers of God that we look to as examples, you know, they, they live their lives in, 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 in service to Him. And, and in that, in the context of their lives, they looked like horrible people. They were not trusted. They looked terrible or whatever. And God was asking them, do you trust me enough to just let that go? And my challenge to us, as we think about solitude and silence, as I said, is closely related to solitude, can we choose silence sometimes and give up control because we just trust God deeply with the outcome? I'm going to, I want to pray before we, we close, and I'm just going to give a couple applications. Um, but this is, this is a real challenging message and topic. You can, Corey, you can put that, um, the slide up that has kind of the outline of what we were talking about. So the solitude and life of Jesus, solitude and life of a Jesus follower, if it's there. Um, I'm just going to pray for us. So uh, as you think about this, I want you to just ponder for a minute the, the fact that Jesus practiced this, and if Jesus is fully God and fully man, and He needed to go and be alone with God to hear the voice of God so that He could have clarity, how much more do we? And what does it look like in our lives? Are there reasons we avoid solitude? Maybe, maybe you want to avoid the dark night of the soul. Maybe there's some deep, dark questions that are terrifying that you want to avoid. Maybe distinguishing God's voice from other voices is something that you have never feel like you've, you've gotten to the point where you can actually recognize this is what God's saying and it's different than what people are saying and I'm okay with that. And this deep trust in God's plan, I think that probably all of us, me included, this is not a finger-pointing thing, I think all of us struggle with control. We try to control situations, we try to control certain narratives and outcomes, all these things. And, and solitude is this willing decision to say, God, I'm releasing that and I'm going to trust your plan. So I'm just going to pray for us, and then I'll just give a couple of applications, and then we'll, we'll uh, close with a couple songs. But let's just pray. Lord, I just I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you challenge us. And God, I, my, my desire is that we as, as, a, as a church community would be continually, that we would be a people who actually uh, trust you with more than just the words we sing on a Sunday, but that we trust you in the way that we live our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would hear your call, that you're calling us into sometimes this desolate place, sometimes this lonely place uh, that looks lonely, but it's not because it's a place we encounter you. I pray that, Lord, for those of us that are feeling challenged to be intentional about how we spend our time and how we, we in, uh, interact with you in a relationship, Lord, if we're feeling challenged, give us the, uh, the wherewithal, the boldness, the courage to take the step to do it. And Lord, may we encounter you in a deep and a profound way. I, I think there's people in this room that are wrestling with a decision. They're wrestling with the way to go on, on certain things. And I pray that, Lord, we would hear your voice and that it would become louder than all of the pressures of the world, that we would hear you and we'd be able to respond to you in the way we see Jesus doing. Lord, bless us, we pray. Help us to hear you, to respond to you, and I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that, Lord, we'll stand before you someday and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest, Lord. May we hear those words uh, from you, and may you empower us by your Holy Spirit to live in a way uh, that we, we walk in freedom and we encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the couple applications that... that you can actually put this discipline into practice. Uh, take a retreat somewhere. So uh, if you've never done this, I would encourage you, um, 
go somewhere for like a day, Maybe, even if it's just a six-hour thing, and just intentionally say, God, I'm going to spend some alone time with you. If you rent a cabin or a motel, um, do it. But do it with the intention of being alone with God in prayer, listening and leaning into what He's saying. Choose a spot in your home, a special chair or a room. Maybe for some of you, that might be it. Maybe it's a closet. Maybe it's legit like a little broom closet. And you've got to go in there and your, your face is in the mop bucket, whatever, right? Like maybe it's that. Uh, Find a, a consistent, special place that you drive to. Maybe you grab a coffee or a tea or you take a water and you just go sit there and you just, you just you detox from all of the other noise, all of the other pressures, and you're just like, God, I'm just going to go sit here and if I don't hear anything, that's okay, but I'm just going to listen. I'm going to meditate on your word and I'm just going to listen. Uh, spend an entire day without defending yourself. I, that one might be like a real challenge, but I would encourage you, like if, if God spoke to you at all about your tendency to control situations... Pick a day this week and say, God, I'm going to do, like, the whole day, I'm just not going to defend myself. If somebody says something nasty, if they say something about me that's untrue, I am just going to, like you did, I'm going to keep my mouth closed and not say anything about it. And trust uh, in Him. And, and then lastly, practice Sabbath. Uh, take a day a week and, and just intentionally focus in on that time with God. I'm going to invite the team to come up. We're going to close with a couple songs. And uh, I just encourage us with this. Um, as, as, you, as you do this, uh, do, do so with joy. I, I, I just always want to remind us, we cannot earn a relationship with God. You doing all of these things isn't going to make God love you more. God proved His love for us when Jesus came and died on our behalf. We cannot earn His love more. But we can engage in our relationship with Him in a more practical way. It is a relationship, and He enjoys when we interact with Him, when we invite Him into uh, the relational side of our of our lives, and these these disciplines are ways that we can do that. So, uh, I invite you to even if the Lord's spoken to you in, in any way uh, during this time, just while we sing these songs, just talk to Him uh, about that.